conflict, when you, there's something good you want to pray for, but you know in order for that good to happen, something bad has to happen first, or something painful has to happen first. It's kind of like praying for a surgery. You know what? They have to cut you open for that. <laughs> and you go, okay, but, we under, but the result at the end of that is good. That's what we're looking at here. Uh, Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. And that is so... Fantastic. What a goal. We pray for that. But then we look at the rest of this. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and an earthquake and heavy hail. And, and what we find is this thing that we want, it's like, it's like praying for the peace of Jerusalem, and we know peace of Jerusalem will come after war and destruction. And it's like, it's like praying, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. When you know in order for him to come quickly, it's how much it means comes with it. And, and yet what we find is, is that what, well, that's what we do. As we look at this passage, passages of Scripture just jumped out at me. The voice in heaven declares God's kingdom has come, and I thought of the Lord's Prayer. That's why we had it for our scripture reading today. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It said, the nations raged, Psalm 2. If you're not familiar with Psalm 2, it says, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Uh, and then we have uh, the, the punishing of sinners, and we have prophecy all over about that. We're going to look at today's passage in light of these passages that they bring to mind. Verses 15 through 17, thy kingdom come. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. Thy kingdom come, and he states this uh, in, in, in past tense, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. And and yet, as we look at Revelation in our timeline, the worst is yet to come. You can say, how can it be the worst is yet to come? We've seen the seven seals affecting a quarter of the earth. We've seen the seven trumpets affecting a third of the earth, totaling up to a half of the earth. But as we look forward to the seven bowls of wrath that are yet to come, well, let's just skip ahead a few chapters to chapter 16 and read what happens with these seven bowls of wrath. Chapter 60, I'm just going to start at verse 2. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped his, his image. And you notice there's no quarter or third. This is just them, right? The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. No quarter, no third. It's just everything. The third angel poured out his bowls into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just, as you, just are you, 
O Holy One, who is and who was. For you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent or give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. And they saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place in Hebrew that is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts. The cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on the people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. And we find these universal uh, plagues, these universal woes coming. It's going to get worse. As bad as it will be, it will be horrible at that time, but it's going to be worse. And we find in the midst of, uh, with the knowledge of what's going to happen, we find praise to God for what he is doing, that he is beginning to reign. Uh, it, it, It seems kind of counterproductive. Is this what we pray for? Right? We're not one of those churches, but many churches every week quote the, the, the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I, I won't go through the rest of it, but, but we, we start with that, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Is that what you pray for when you pray that prayer? Are you praying God come, smite them, destroy them, punish the evil, destroy the destroyers, bring havoc upon the earth? Is that what you think when you pray, Our, thy kingdom come? Probably not. I mean, I'm going to venture to speak on your behalf and say, no, it's a little bit more warm and fuzzy than that. (laughs) You know, usually when we think, don't we think pleasant thoughts? Like, oh, that would be so nice. That would be so nice if here on earth, God's kingdom came, that his will was done the way it will be in heaven. I mean, someday, and we call it heaven, our eternal life. I think it's going to be on heaven, the new earth, but, but, but we call it heaven. And, and God's will will be done. If God says, you know what, I'd like a cabin over there, there will be a cabin there. Whether he puts it there or we say, hey, let's go build a cabin for God over there, you know, it will be there. His will will be done. It will just be that easy and that simple. There will be no question, no contest, nobody defying him, no one shaking their fist in his face saying, I hate you, God, uh, that's when we pray, we pray for the end result. What we find is there's something that's going to happen in between. I think we're correct when we think it will be better when God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, when God is ruling the way we feel he ought to do. Uh, but why do things get so much worse before they, they, after, after he makes his declaration? 
Why do things get so much worse after he says, because hear what they say, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And it sounds like we've reached the point where things should only be good now. Because he has begun to reign. It should be good. Why? Do, well, you know, we have that familiar saying, things must get worse before they get better. And there's a lot of logic behind that. It's not just one of those things like we just go mysteriously, gee, I don't know why things get worse before they get better. It's because of the way it is. You, you, you have a drift in your, in your driveway. Imagine possibly that happening. <laughs> right? Uh, now, in order to get that drift gone... <laughs> you have to do something about it. And you're in your house, nice and warm, looking out at the drift. Now, there's going to be the point when the drift is gone, but to get that drift gone, things have to get worse. You have to go outside in that wind and snow and, and, and cold and make the drift go away, and then it's better. It's just, it's just like, yeah, that's the way it is. There, there is a price to be paid to make things get better. There, it is always that way. It, it, if it was easy, we'd do it sooner. I, didn't, I left my drifts alone yesterday. Anybody else with me on that? <laughs> it's like, I looked out, I said, man, be tough. I bet it's going to be nicer in the morning. I'm waiting, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and I did, and it was nicer in the morning, and it wasn't that bad. It was kind of like, oh, I'm so glad I waited. It was less worse before it got better than it might have been. The, uh, it, if it was easier, we'd do it sooner. We wait because of the price, and, and we don't want to do it. But another way to look at this that is maybe more satisfying than simply saying it gets worse before it gets better is to say that God is declaring the earth is his before he takes it. And this is, this is an important thing to grasp. Uh, there is no confusion here. God is not declaring... He's not, he's not landing on land that is not his and declaring it in the name of his king. You know, he's not, a, not an explorer colonist landing on, on an island and saying, I claim this island in the name of, you know, England, Britain and the king, or, you know, whatever... They, they would do when they, they did that kind of thing. He's not doing something like that. He's not coming and claiming something as his that is not his. He is coming and he is claiming what is his. He is coming into what is rightfully his and he is saying, this is mine and I am now ruling it. Okay, But the problem is, is that even though it is his, he's reclaiming what is his, in the meantime there have been people claiming it who are not his and they don't want to let it go. Just because he says, no, it's mine, they're not necessarily giving into that. There's a parable that, that this may bring to mind. Let's turn to Luke chapter 20 for a minute. And we'll just read through it. I don't think I need to say a whole lot about it. Luke chapter 20, verses 9 through 16. This Bible has that crinkly feel brand new Bibles have. The pages try to stick together because the end is still kind of, you know, it's, it's like the new car smell. <laughs> uh, Luke chapter 20, starting at verse 9. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and led it out to, to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard, but the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another tenant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully. And they sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to himself, This is the heir. Let us kill him, so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of that vineyard do to them? 
He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyards to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. Wow, surely not. They recognized who the parable was being told about. And they're going, but wait, we're expecting good things. And he's saying, no, that's not the way it's going to be. The earth has always been God's. But the earth has been in rebellion since Adam. The earth has been in rebellion for the, virtually the entire history of humanity on the earth. And that is what God is doing here. He is declaring, this is my kingdom and I am coming to rule. And those of you who don't like it are going to pay the price. Those of you who have been in defiance against me are, in, are going to pay the price because in my kingdom I punish the people who break my laws. And, and, you know, the difference between the good guy and the bad guy, the good kingdom and the bad kingdom, is the bad kingdom encourages its people to be bad. The good kingdom has bad people and punishes them in, 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 in current terms. I mean, in those terms, we won't be doing bad things anymore. But when God comes and he declares, I'm taking this back, it is mine, I am coming back, that's my vineyard, and you owe me, and you will be punished for what you have done, he is declaring it before he does it. And it will not be pretty for those who resist his rule. Okay, so that is the declaration of his kingdom. That is, that is the first thing that jumped out to me when I looked at this, is the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, that will be done. And then Psalm uh, 2, it start, he starts out with, in verse 18, just the first part of it. The nations raged, but your wrath came. You know, about 183 years ago, Joan and I took a night class. <laughs> this is when we were still in Spokane, and I was... I was uh, uh, I think I was taking daytime classes at this time, but, but we went and we took this night class at, at the Inland Empire School of the Bible on, uh, I think it was called current, Christ, Christianity and Current Affairs, something like that. And it was how to look at uh, current affairs through a biblical lens, and it was really helpful. I don't remember most of the things we learned, but I do remember we learned Psalm 2. And I could not quote for you Psalm 2, but I can sure start it. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The, the one enthroned in heaven, or I, I'm going to start jumping right now, so if you would turn with me to Psalm 2. If you, if you need to learn a psalm that's relevant to the world we're in, Psalm 2 is ideal. Uh, it, it's, it's both relevant to describe us today, and it's relevant in prophecy, and it's being quoted in Revelation chapter 18. I don't think it's an accident that we find words so similar. Uh, so, uh, Revelation uh, 18 or 11, uh, 18 says, The nations raged, but your wrath came. Psalm 2 says, Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in their fury. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Right? God is not dis dis dismayed or dissuaded by the opposition the world is going to give him. Uh, the nations rage against God. The world hates God. The world hates God. And, and, and why? Well, why do small children throw tantrums? Small children throw tantrums because they're not getting their way. Because you are stopping them from doing, or either you're stopping them from doing what they want, or they're not getting, you're not doing for them what they want, giving them what they want. I want that toy on that shelf now, and I'm going to throw a tantrum here in the middle of the store until I get my way. And mom and dad, 
This tells what kind of mom and dad you are, <laughs> how you react at that point, uh, what you do with it. Uh, and, and I often reveal my lack of patience in situations like that. Uh, but one thing, children do learn not to throw tantrums with me. <laughs> I've never understood allowing a child to throw a tantrum. But because he wants a thing, uh, something or something to get something his way and he's not getting it, and right or wrong does not even vaguely enter his thinking. That child does not think, hmm, would it be right and proper for me to throw a tantrum at this point? <laughs> yeah. it, not remotely. It is an instinctive, visceral reaction to getting my way, wanting to get my way. How can I demand my way? I will throw a tantrum. I will have a fit. I will, will do anything I can to cause you trouble. And it doesn't matter that that same child who does that, you feed him. You give him clothing. You give him a place to live. You love him. <laughs> Makes no difference. He throws a tantrum because he's not getting what he wants right now. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Do they not recognize who they're raging against? Do they not stop and think about right and wrong? No, they are simply frustrated in getting what they want and God gets in their way. And because God gets in their way, they hate him because he makes rules, because he has limitations, because he says, do this or don't do that. Because we want what we want, and we don't want God to get in our way. So the nations rage, and they plot today, uh, plot against him. And we see today people raging against religion. Or I should say, what we see today in people raging against religion, sometimes against God, sometimes against religion in general, sometimes against any God, yeah, we, what we see in, in, in a, a symbolic way today, as in a, the idea of God, or, or anything like that, then that day we will see in a very personal way. The, the celebration we, we talked about last week when the two prophets were killed, the celebration that they have, it's because those prophets represented God and all he did. And we see the things they did, and they represented God. And to the world, it looks like not only have they been defeated, but God has been defeated. Because his two witnesses have been defeated. And the people are not merely rejoicing that, that the witnesses have been defeated, but that God has been defeated. Now he's out of our way. Now there's no one to stop us from getting what we want. Now we can have it. And they celebrate because they hate God. And what we see today uh, symbolically happening, they will see personified in a very real way. As the world re violates or, or, or opposes God, Today, people rage against the idea of God. Today, people try to argue that there's no God at all. They remake God, or they remake God into something that's acceptable to them, and they accept that God just fine. Uh, but in that day, God will be very clearly revealed, and they will no longer be rebelling against the idea of God. They will no longer be rebelling against those religious people, and they, and they very much envision you and I getting in their way, by the way. You know, because, because if you don't believe in God then those Christians who vote the way they vote and who speak the way they speak and who support what they support and give what they give uh, are in our way. And it's not God in our way, it's His people in our way because they don't even believe in God. They just believe that there's a bunch of narrow-minded, uh, spiteful people who think we're supposed to be good or somehow think we're better than them. But in that day, there will be no question like that. It will clearly be a raging against God himself because God will have been revealed. When these prophets work miraculously on a worldwide scale the way the whole world sees and knows them so that the whole world rejoices when they're defeated, there will be no question that God is real. 
and that God is powerful and even that God is good. But most important to these people is that God is in our way. God doesn't let us do the things they want. And the nations raged, but his wrath came. They threw their little tantrum. <laughs> There's a young man. He's now a senior in high school. He was in Jones Preschool. And he was probably two. <laughs> I was like, this is just so much fun for me to tell. Uh, and and uh, I, I, I'm, usually, I'm not home most of the time when Joan has preschool. But I'm, or, at that point, it was daycare, so it was, was, I was home more. But this little boy, it was about time for him to go. And his mom was there in the door. And, and, and on the way, he wanted, and he started throwing a tantrum. And I was just walking along behind him, kind of escorting him. And he stopped, and I just stood over him. And I leaned down like that, and I went, <laughs> And he stopped, and he looked at me, and then he got up and left. <laughs> he had no idea. His tantrum did not hurt me. It did not hurt Joan. It hurt nobody. It embarrassed his mother, you know. But other than that, it didn't hurt anybody at all but himself. I mean, he really threw himself down. He might have hurt himself. I don't know. But uh, that's as much as the world is going to accomplish in the face of God. It's as much as they're going to accomplish. They plot, they talk, they boast, but they have no power. And when the owner of that vineyard came, I mean, you can picture these, these tenants, these renters of the vineyard, thinking the owner is like them. He has sent individuals. He has sent his son. He has sent agents or representatives. And they have handled them. And so they think they can handle the owner of the vineyard, too. But when he shows up, they learn something entirely different. Because he comes in power. And, he, and, and he, you know, it, when it's God, he doesn't, the, the not coming alone, but for the sake of my illustration, he does not come alone. And there's these ten tenants sitting there saying, yeah, just come on, buddy. And he comes in with his army of tens of thousands. And what do the ten tenants think now? And do they wonder, is it too late? I don't think they wonder it's too late. I think they just say, uh-oh, it's too late. And the owner comes home, and they learn their mistake too soon. And we move into the rest of Psalm, or verse 18. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged. And for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. The time has come. For rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, for those who fear his name, both small and great. Romans 14, 10 to 12. I'm just going to read a few different passages on this. Just skip along. Romans 14, 10 to 12. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. We will all appear before the judgment seat of God. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 is, is very similar. The biggest difference is instead of saying the judgment seat of God, it says the judgment seat of Christ. But it's clearly the same man is writing on the same subject. 
2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. This is written, by the way, to believers. Uh, both Romans and, and 2 Corinthians are written to believers, so we understand what he says in terms of believers. But I want to turn to Matthew chapter 10, verse 42. Because it's such a rewarding verse. Such a small thing. And it's rewarding. Matthew 10, 42. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. A cup of cold water given in Jesus' name is not given in vain. Right? Uh, He will by no means lose his reward. He will come for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets, and saints. And I don't know about you, but I don't often, I mean, it's like the idea of reward sounds awesome, but I think it also sounds very humbling when we look at the God of the universe when we look at him and who he's done, and he would reward me as if I had done something special. And then he says, even a cup of cold water, and then I start getting greedy. Hmm, how many cups of cold water can I give? <laughs> and that's, that's probably not quite right either, but, but uh, he will reward us, and he will reward us well. And the time is coming for him to do that. Uh, but there's also the time coming for destroying the destroyers of the world. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And you know, one of the problems, you learn a, a, verse, a, verse, a, a verse in one version, and you really like it, and you read it in another version, it's just not quite as good for your point. This is just exactly right for me, by the way, the way this is. Your Bible may not say it exactly the same. Hebrews 9, uh, 27. And it, just, uh, just as it is, appointed for man wants to die, and after that comes judgment. If we take out the word just for a minute, we have a clear piece of doctrine. It is appointed unto man wants to die, and after that the judgment. We will die, we will face judgment, only this time it's a little bit more ominous. Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. Many people in their theology, and maybe rightly so, I don't know, because I have learned I'm not the master of all things. <laughs> Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. Many people say this is only a judgment of the unsaved. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And you hear what that's saying? There is no hiding. If, there is no place of protection. You can't hide your dead body under the sea. You can't hide it in the dirt. You can't hide it if you were burned and left to ashes. You can't hide. They gave up the dead who were in them. And they were each judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. 
Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Back to Revelation 18. <laughs> For rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. All this is happening when God begins to reign. This is what he is coming and he is doing. Uh, all this is happening. He is coming to reign. We tend to think of this as a wonderful, and it is a wonderful thing. We still want to pray, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. <laughs> we still want to pray that. Uh, we, we need to pray that. We need to hunger and thirst for his coming. In fact, if we don't, then we're too comfortable here. The people who live in the lands of persecution understand that prayer, I think, much better than we do. And then there's one more verse, verse 19. The temple, then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes and lightning, rumbles and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a heavy hail. And chances are your brain stopped and you didn't get beyond the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> because we fixate on the Ark of the Covenant, don't we? I don't know why we do that, but we do. Uh, don't think of Raiders of the Lost Ark, okay? Don't, don't, don't go there. You know, there's, there's all sorts of books and movies and all sorts of things, speculation about the Ark. Where is the Ark, really? I know, I read this thing. I, I've got a book in my office that just cracks me up because it, 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 it's, it's, it's a, a book by a real archaeologist and a real biblical thinking guy, but at the end he talks about, he, he describes where the Ark is and he essentially says at the end, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> Yeah, like, that's a good secret to keep because you just told us, okay? But <laughs> if it was where he says it is, the Muslims would have found it by now <laughs> and done with it. It doesn't matter. That, it, believe, me, believe me or don't, you can agree with me or not, I think that ark is utterly irrelevant. The, the, the furniture of the, of the temple... The furniture of the tabernacle before the temple and then the furniture of the, the temple. I mean, you had, uh, you had the altars, you had the basin, you had the, the, the curtains, you had the menorah, you had the table of showbread, you had the altar burn incense, you had the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. All those were the things to represent the reality that is in heaven. All those are merely to represent the reality that is in Christ. They are not the reality. It's not like God has locked everything up in a little gold-covered box and said, this is it. This is where our hope is. He said, this is the, the, the symbolism. This represents what our hope is. Don't expect, and I could be wrong. I mean, this is the whole thing. We may get up there and I'll say, oh, look, there it is. <laughs> you know? could, could be. I mean, it's not like it's impossible. It's not like it wouldn't have value. We'd go and we'd say, oh, yeah, that's it. Remember everything? You know, it's, it's like any souvenir we have. You know, we have souvenirs that show us and remind us of things. I have, I have souvenirs from my, I have a coffee cup from Grand Turks Island. It doesn't, I didn't give that one to Charlie. I only gave him the other one. <laughs> it's a Grand Turks. <laughs> and because and, uh, it, it takes me back. It reminds me. And I look at it and I go, oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember the, uh, the, uh, 
conch fritters I had. Man, they were good. Okay, so <laughs> you ever had conch fritters? Anybody ever had? I'm going to rub it in. They were, they are the best food on the planet. Okay, and, and I've had some. Thank you. Okay, because <laughs> you sent me there. Um, and maybe it will be like that. Maybe the Ark of the Covenant will be up there as a souvenir trinket type reminder. But Jesus Christ is the reality. And when he says he sees the 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 Ark of the Covenant uh, with its was seen within the temple. Let's think about what the Ark of the Covenant represents. Uh, first and most obviously, it is the Ark of the Covenant. The covenant, God's deal with man. God's promise, God's covenant promise to take care of man. Right? God's covenant that he said he would do. An unconditional covenant. Right? That's, the, the, the ark is not the important part. The covenant is the important part. Okay? It's, it's not the box. It's what the box represents. It also held manna. Right? In, in the box, there were, there were, there were uh, a couple things that went in. The, the, the Ten Commandments went in there. Three things went in the, in the, in the Ark of the Covenant. The, 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 I'm going like this because chances are they weren't these massive big stones. You know, they, they had jewelry and inscriptions back then you know, it's, that they could probably put on small stones that Moses could actually carry without breaking his back. Okay? Uh, it, it, but they had the tablets of the covenant in the, in the Ark of the Covenant. Right? The Ten Commandments, the, 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 the tablets of the covenant. There was manna in there. They took a, took a container and they put manna in there that didn't go bad but lasted <laughs> until some fool took it out. Um, and it was, it was there representing the, what's manna, the bread of life, the miraculous bread from heaven, God's provision of, to man of his needs. And it had Aaron's rod that budded. And you go, I don't understand. I never heard of Aaron's rod that budded. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to go through and read the story in Numbers, but it's in Numbers chapter 17. You can read the story. I'll tell you the brief version of it. Is, is, is the people were rebelling again. <laughs> they were, and and so, so God basically said, okay, let's have the, a leader from each tribe come and bring his staff. Because everybody had a staff in those days. It wasn't his crew of workers. It was a stick, right? <laughs> and uh, everybody, bring your staff. And, 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 you know, the leader of this, and so Aaron brought the staff for the tribe of Levi. And God said, good, now carve your names into them. So they carved their names, and they carved the name Aaron into the staff that said Aaron. He says, now let's go put them all before the, the uh, presence of God. And they took them into the, t- the tabernacle. They put them down. And in the morning, they brought them all out. And Aaron's had budded. It had not only budded, it had leaves on it. It had blossomed. It had almonds on it. He had an, or almonds, if you're from there. Okay? Uh, if you're an uh, all, almond grower, they're not almonds, they're almonds. Uh, and, uh, and this was actually producing fruit. And we know what kind of a rod Aaron had. It was an almond rod. And, and, uh, and his had done all this. And what, what does that mean? Well, it means, I mean, there's, again, there's huge symbology in these things. You go, look, life after death, representing very clearly Aaron's life after death, because his name was on it. Wow, that's, and that was put in the Ark of the Covenant. Go, cool. This is cool. That's, what's the Ark of the Covenant represent? It represents everything God did for us, everything he does for us, everything he gave to us is wrapped up in, in symbology in that Ark of the Covenant. And it is in heaven, in his temple, which I think, again, is every bit of symbolic. <laughs> the, the, what the temple represents is much more important. I, there may be a temple in heaven, but I don't think so. I'm trying to remember how it says it in... Uh, 
I should know, should know this off the top of my head. Later on, I think he says there was no temple because God is, it, God is there. But the Ark of the Covenant means all these things. Oh, I, I didn't even mention the lid of the Ark. The lid of the Ark was, was of pure gold, probably the heavy, heavier than the Ark put together. Made the thing top heavy. <laughs> but uh, it was pure gold, and it had uh, cherubim carved in it with wings that came in and met at the center, and picture it coming down almost like a saddle. And, and saddle's not a bad way to think of it because it was called the mercy seat, and that's where the presence of God was, was to be met by the high priest that one time a year. That's, by the way, that what people were given access to when the veil was rent in two, when Jesus died on the cross, and the veil was rent in two, top to bottom, not bottom to top, but from heaven down to us. And it was rent in two, and it's a mercy seat where we went to find mercy. Mercy is what you don't deserve, but what you get. You know, not, not the bad thing you don't deserve to get. That's not mercy. That's cruelty. Okay? Mercy is the good that you get that you don't deserve. And, and the mercy seat is there. The Ark of the Covenant means all those things. And, and where is it found? In God's temple in heaven. And where is our hope? Our hope is in heaven. It's not here. Symbols of our hope are here. You know, we come into this building and there's a cross here displayed prominently. Why? It is a symbol of our hope. Right? Uh, we come in, we, we have our Bibles. Are they our hope? No, but they represent, they, they inform us. I mean, they're, they're more than merely symbols because they're communication. But we have these things that are symbols of our hope. They, they are real to us, but they are not the hope itself. Hope fulfilled is in heaven. And, and, and what are we finding is that God is claiming, what is God doing when he claims the earth and he says, he comes back and says, this is mine. I have now begun to rule. Well, he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. He doesn't even want this one. This one's been defiled and polluted and made no good. Uh, our hope is there. And for everyone whose hope is there, he is coming to give gifts and rewards. And for everyone whose hope is here, we're going to get what this world is going to get. Uh, and it's not good. So Jesus said to pray for God's kingdom to come. In spite of the trouble that it means, because it is a good thing, it needs to happen. Jesus said to pray for God's kingdom to come, and someday it will. And when it does, it will come in very dramatic fashion. But we will find that really it has already come. Because you are already, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're already part of God's kingdom. It's not something that, what's going to come is when God comes to reign the way he ultimately will. And we will have God's kingdom come to us completely. But in the meantime, his kingdom comes within our hearts. Luke said that, or wrote that. Jesus said it. Luke wrote it. Uh, that his kingdom is with us now. He, 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 it is the kingdom within our hearts. And, and he is our king now. For anyone who will make God king. For anyone who will give up his own way here and now, for God's way, then and there. And, and, and because you have made it your kingdom, him your king now, because it is your kingdom now, then you are ready for his kingdom to come. And when you stand before your judge, right? I don't know that we can stand fearlessly before our judge. I don't know about you. If God judges me fairly, <laughs> that's a scary thought. Uh, but at the same time, I trust in rewards. I believe in rewards. I believe in his provision. And, and not because I feel I deserve it, but because I know his word is true. That is a wonderful promise. Let's bow and pray. Father God, I praise you for how good your word is. Lord, as horrible as the future sounds and as fearful for so many, 
we pray, thy will be done, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Lord, and I do pray, bring it, bring it about quickly. Maranatha, Lord, come soon. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.